Good morning, everyone. Um, you know, last week I was feeling like the earth was slightly off kilter. Anyone else realize this? Because Australia beat New Zealand in the rugby. And I was like, the whole earth, you know? They, you know they say like if the earth was just half a degree on its axis slightly like this way, all life would cease to exist. Like I felt like we were pretty close to that. And then yesterday happened and then the Aussies are humbled again. So it was a good day, you know? And uh, it's also tough saying that, but it's, it's good and it's tough because my, my wife is a Kiwi, but her mom is an Australian. So it's like you win some, you lose some. Um, <laughs> Anyway, so it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys today. We're continuing our series uh, on relationships. That's what he said. And today's sermon is called Water Cooler Convo. You know, the, the, they say, they've recorded that more proper conversations happen around the water cooler. We don't have a big water cooler culture in South Africa because we can drink water from our taps. Um, but in America, they have got water coolers and they, you know, a lot of people go there and I suppose for us would be going to make yourself a cup of coffee. More proper conversations about business, honest conversations happen around the water cooler than in the boardrooms. And that's because I think sometimes uh, our relational skills, et cetera, et cetera, uh, let us down in key moments. And so we clam up and then we go and talk to people who don't need to know what's going on uh, around what's really going on. And so today, as a part of our relationship series, we're really speaking about what comes out of our mouths? And you know, like God's put this mouth in the middle of our face. Like, and then it's quite tricksy sometimes. Like, because it's right there. Like, you can't just hide it all the time. And stuff comes out of it that is unhelpful. Sometimes really helpful, but sometimes unhelpful. And we've all experienced this. Like, I've had those moments, like, when I've really got it right, you know, with Sometimes, like with my wife, like I've really managed to... It was easy in the first service when she wasn't here. Um, <laughs> that's just tough being married to a pastor, hey? <laughs> you know, like when, when you feel like you really hit it, like you, you manage to whisper some sweet nothings, you manage to really like get the right words to express how you feel about her, and you're just like, oh, I'm winning on so many levels. And it, it happens sometimes, probably not as often as I think it happens, but it does happen sometimes. But then there's these other moments, like where you say stuff, like maybe she's coming to you with the vulnerable thing, and you don't pick up that it's vulnerable, and you answer quickly, and then it's bad. Uh, or she asks you this question, how do I look in this? And guys know You've got 0.3 seconds to get the answer right. Because even if you go, it's bad. 93% of your communication is nonverbal, apparently, so that's not what she wants to see. And so, like, it's amazing because sometimes, like, the brain's right behind the mouth, but sometimes the distance there, like, a lot can go wrong between the brain and the mouth. And we've all been in this situation, like we've all been in those moments where you've said something, you go, you know, it's like, like there should be a few seconds, like five second grace period where you just go, delete, you know, like the email that you write and then you read again, you're like, oh, I could say that better. You don't get that opportunity sometimes with what comes out your mouth. And, um, and we've all been there. I mean, and it's not just uh, relationships, like romantic ones, it's with friendships, it's with kids. Uh, it's at work. Anyone love doing performance reviews? Anyone love? Because like when you're, when you're young, when you're starting out, you're like, I'm getting reviewed now. But one day, I'm going to do the reviewing. 
and then you get to the day when you're doing the reviewing and you're like, this is even harder <laughs> than hearing this stuff, is actually finding ways to say stuff because you care about the person you want to help them, but sometimes you actually have to raise some really tough things. And, and so we all are, are, go on this journey, and because words are so powerful, really, to shape people, I mean, I don't know how many people like one teacher or one parent has said one thing and it shaped so much of their life, or conversely, like, Sometimes someone says something to you and it just gives you so much courage or encouragement for that situation. And because of that, the Bible actually has so much to say about what comes out of our mouths. I'm going to read just a few verses from Proverbs. I'm not going to preach it. I'm just going to read the Bible and see what it says. Evil words destroy one's friends. Wise discernment rescues the godly. It is foolish to belittle a neighbor. Anyone got here a neighbor they don't particularly like? It is foolish to belittle a neighbor. A person with good sense remains silent. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but hard words stir up anger. Gentle words bring life and health. A deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Kind words are like honey. Ever had someone who had the ability to say the right thing into your situation? At the right time, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. A person's words can be life-giving water. Words of true wisdom are as refreshing as a bubbling brook. The last one, telling lies about others is as harmful as hitting them with an axe. What? Have you, have you seen what an axe can do? Telling lies about someone is as harmful as hitting them with an axe, wounding them with a sword, or shooting them with a sharp arrow. And I, I'm just in Proverbs, like I haven't even got to James yet. <laughs> Anyone read James? Like, cause I, like when you read the book of James, it's a little bit like James says some things very directly. Like I always get that moment of panic. So let me explain. So Josh Cronfeld was a famous All Black. He said when he picked up the ball and he was carrying it into contact and he saw Henry Honeyball in front of him, he just had this moment of panic because Henry Honeyball is known as Lem, the blade that cut when the Holy Spirit says, speaks to me and says, I want you to go to the book of James, I'm just like, oh no. It's like I'm like Josh Cronfell, I'm just panicking. Like, it's hardly ever good when it comes from James. And this is just Proverbs, you know. It's like James, like, I'm only going to read one verse from James this morning. Don't worry, like, the rest of James will be for midweek sessions where we can counsel people afterwards. But um, the, the thing is, the Bible's got so much to say about this, but it's. James says this, he says, indeed, we all make many mistakes. Any amens to that? Amen. For we could, if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. So apparently, the toughest part of our discipleship journey is going to be controlling our tongues. So if you're like in the, we all make many mistakes category, it's okay. <laughs> it's the most difficult thing. And so we've got to have grace for ourselves in this journey. Like so often we can be hard on ourselves, but also we've got to have grace for other people in this journey because they're also on the same journey of figuring out how to do this. But words are powerful. Look at Proverbs 18, 20 to 21. For the fruit of a man's mouth, from the fruit of a man's mouth, his stomach is satisfied. He is satisfied by the yield of his lips. In other words, part of your satisfaction, your enjoyment of life is the product of what come, you allow to come out your mouth. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. 
death and life on the power of the tongue. And I always focused at that first. And actually, to be honest, all I saw was the death bit. It's like, ah, yeah, you can see how that. But there's the other bit. Life is in the power of the tongue. Don't you get it that God has put the potential for a life-giving multiplier in the middle of your face, and you can use it wisely to produce life in you and all around you? So we're going to focus on that today. Not the death bit, we're going to focus on the life bit. How do we use our mouth for life? How do we use our tongues for life? Because God's with us. And here's the thing is we've got to have great encouragement, take great encouragement, because so it actually it takes more faith to believe that you can be a life-giving agent with the power of your mouth than that you can produce death. Because I've got evidence of the death bit in my life. Anyone else? But when we really believe, God, you have put your word in me, you've put your truth in me, you've anointed me with your spirit, you're with me when I go into conversation, you can use me to be a life giver, life creator, life uh, uh, projector wherever I go because of what I allow and how I choose to part with you with my tongue. So how do we do that? Ephesians chapter 4 15, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So apparently the way we speak the truth, it needs to be in truth and it needs to be in love. And it causes us to grow up into the image of Jesus. You know, I love Jesus. And, and I love him because of what he's done for me, but I, I just love reading the scriptures and seeing how he handles situations. And I love Jesus because on the one hand, he can be so nurturing. And we heard about this last week about the woman at the well, John chapter four, where Jesus engages a woman who has been divorced five times. She's been rejected again and again and again. And in one short conversation, he nurses her into life. And then the same Jesus can rebuke his friends and take on a corrupt political and religious system so directly and so fearlessly. Look at this, Luke 13, 31 to 32. At that time, some Pharisees said to Jesus, said to him, get away from here if you want to live. Herod Antipas, well, like, he's a big deal, by the way, wants to kill you. He was a, a, a political leader. Jesus replied, go tell that fox that I will keep on casting out demons and healing people today and tomorrow, and the third day I will accomplish my purpose, said our loving Savior, Jesus Christ. And we, we miss this sometimes, because what Jesus is really doing is he's aligning his purpose. So a fox in the scriptures, and it comes up in Song of Solomon, where it says, catch us the foxes, or they'll ruin the, ruin the vineyard, they'll ruin the harvest. So often it's not the lions and the bears and the tigers that destroy, it's the fox, that little thing that nips at your heel. Why? Because it distracts you from your real purpose. And so Jesus is saying, hey, Herod Antipas is a small distraction because my real purpose is to heal the sick and cast out demons. That's what's going on here, but he's so direct. Imagine someone walking up to you and saying, hey, here at Antipas, or some political leader in our country wants to kill you, and you say, go tell that fox, this is my purpose and this is my, my thing. I'm not gonna be distracted. That's courage. And he doesn't mince his words, like, well, maybe you should, like, I feel like that, maybe. You just Last example of Jesus, our loving Savior, being so direct, speaking to the Pharisees. 
What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. Jesus has modeled the kingdom to these people. He's gone after them. He's engaged them in conversation. He's answered their questions, their testings. But at some point, he speaks the truth. I mean, it's hard to reconcile loving, peaceful Jesus with this person. But all I'm saying is maybe that within the scope of how direct we are, there might just be more room for directness and frankness than we give heedance for. And the amazing thing is that I look at Jesus and then in other moments he'll rebuke some of his closest friends. You know, Jesus was about to go to the cross and go through that whole process of getting arrested and put on trial and he knew it and his soul was in anguish. But in that moment he still corrects Peter by saying, get behind me, Satan, because Peter was representing not the thinking of heaven, but the thinking of this world in terms of preserving Jesus' life. And he knew his purpose was to go to the cross, but he rebukes his closest friend in his darkest hour. The time when we're willing to say the nicest things, to have people close to us, Jesus is still speaking the truth. And when I look at Jesus, I realize how unlike Jesus I am sometimes. Because sometimes I speak the truth, but not in love. You know how it happens, like someone's doing something that's annoying you and you know it's annoying you and like the temperatures are rising inside and it's just rising it's bubbling, and then suddenly out of your mouth comes what's been building up for weeks plus some. And then after you say, well, I told them, I told them the truth. Yeah, but not in love. Maybe you told it out of frustration, maybe you told it out of annoyance, maybe you told it but not in love. And then on the other hand, sometimes when, when someone's going through something, I, I, I'll avoid telling them the truth because I'm saying I'm loving them. Well, they can't handle it right now. I don't want to hurt them. And what I say is, in order to love this person, I must not speak the truth. And what we do is we say, well, I'm not telling them this because I don't want to hurt them and they can't handle it, but actually I'm fearful that if I say that thing, they'll reject me, or I'll say it badly, or it's my fear that's driving it, and so fear is the opposite of love. And so we look at Jesus who consistently speaks the truth in love. And so we need to understand that, that part one for a lot of us is being willing to be truth tellers and to speak the truth to people in love and to deal with sometimes some issues we'd rather avoid. Matthew 5, 23, 24, this is Jesus teaching. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. So you, in the midst of an intimate worship session, because this is their version, Jewish version of intimate worship session. Anyone taken a sacrifice to the altar in the temple recently? No, okay, so let me explain. Um, for them, people would take a sacrifice to the altar because either they 
had been in sin and they've realized and they're repenting and so there's this moment of just vulnerability. Hey, I've done this thing. I'm gonna take a sacrifice and present it to God. Or they're taking a sacrifice to the altar because uh, there's another sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'm so grateful for what God's done for me. My heart's abounding with joy. I'm gonna take. So they're in the middle of a worship session, like an intimate worship session and they remember my brother's got something against me. I've done something to them or they've taken something the wrong way. There's a relational breakdown and rather leave the sacrifice there, go be reconciled. In other words, sometimes God's more glorified by our willingness to seek reconciliation with a brother or sister than in our most intimate worship sessions with God. Because so often we, we divorce these things. We're like, no, no, me and God, we're good, but these people, hey, not so much. And God's like, no, you can't do that. God, I love you. I worship you. Oh, remember God, God, I pray you help me to go and Seek reconciliation because in that moment, God's glorified. We're committed to producing life into that space. Next verse, Matthew 18, Jesus teaching again, if anyone, if another believer sins against you. So in the first one is you've committed a sin against someone. They're offended with you. They're hurt by you. Go and seek reconciliation. In the second one, they've sinned against you and you're hurt. Go seek reconciliation. In other words, it doesn't matter who's to blame or how you got there. Go seek reconciliation. Because sometimes we hide behind that. Well, I didn't do that. They did that thing. So actually, it's their responsibility too. No, but the Bible says it's always your responsibility too. And by the way, if you're like, yeah, but they're 80% responsible and I'm 20% responsible, you're 100% responsible for your 20%. And don't go tell them about their 80%. Tell them about your 20%. Because like, we're always convinced, like, hey, mine's the small bit, yours is the major bit. And by the way, some people are here going, yo, I'm a, I need to tell so-and-so to come later tonight. Just listen for yourself right now. Okay, listen for yourself. You're 100% responsible for whatever you brought to that situation. It doesn't matter how the re- breakdown relationship happened. Take the initiative to be a truth teller and to seek reconciliation. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. And this is that water cooler thing. Because you sit in the meeting and, and things get tense and things get heated and then everyone's very quiet and then you walk out to the meeting and you go and get coffee and the same people that were very quiet have a lot to say. Ever notice that? About yourself? <laughs> Everyone was like, hmm, about yourself? Ah. I've been there. I'm in the moment. I have nothing to say. I'm just like, and then afterwards, whew. And then what happens is you go there to the water cooler and your friend comes along and you're getting water and you just let out a sigh. And then they say, what's wrong? And you go, oh, nothing. nothing. (laughs) And then they go, no, really, what's wrong? And now because they've asked twice, it's all right for you to tell them. Joking, it's not. But then you... Then you proceed to tell them, and in that moment, what you're really doing is you're, you're going, oh, I'm feeling insecure about this situation. I need to check in with someone else so that you can, yeah, I've also had that experience of that person. You're right. They are that evil. You know, you feel better about yourself if more than one person has the same problem with the same, you know. I'm not the crazy one where all they are. And, and so often we, we, we have our conversations with other people that we need to be having with that person. And this is really important because the way we represent people affects other people's perception of them. I've got a friend who 
he's a motorbiker and he went to a biking convention. And before he went, one of his friends said, hey, watch out for this guy. He looks like this, he's like this. He comes from this place and yes, he's really a piece of work. And the guy's like, okay, I'm watching out for that guy. And he got there and he met this guy and he was like, yeah. And after a while, he's like, sure enough, this guy's a piece of work. And like for two, it was a three-day thing. They were driving and like having meals and staying in a hotel. And for two days, he was like, yeah, this guy, hey. And on day three, he realized that the guy... He had a problem with that his friend told him about. Actually, that guy wasn't the right guy. He got the wrong guy. <laughs> and then he started having conversations with him as he realized, hey, he's a really good guy. And to this day, they're friends. You see, when, when you're looking for something, you're going to see it. And so when you give a, a negative report about someone else and that other person meets them, what are they looking for in that moment? And here's the thing, it works exactly the other way too. Have you ever met someone and your friends tell you, yo, you've got to meet this guy, they're amazing, they're hilarious, like, and you're like, yo, I want to meet that guy, and you meet them, and you're like, yeah, they are. Because you, you, you're inclined to believe the testimony of other people. Which means with your mouth, you've got the ability to set other people up to make friends and get accepted by a community and a group of people. You've got that ability. Sometimes we've got an ability to pave the way for people, even in business. You can give a good report about someone else. Not like make it up because we're Christians, like also the truth, but a good report about someone else and you can pave the way and make it easier. Something that you took years to try and establish yourself in a community or business connections, you can, with your mouth, you can make it easier for someone else to do the same thing. You can give away what God's given to you. If another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you've won the person back, which is the whole point. We want reconciliation. But if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back. In other words, be committed to this thing and sing it through so that everything you say must be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. In other words, if you're really committed to, to godly community, it might mean that you end up in a mediated situation to try and find peace. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, oh, I love this bit, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. Woo! Which means we burn them at the stake. No, we don't. We really don't. If you're from SARS, we don't. Um, Jesus loved pagans and corrupt tax collectors. It doesn't mean that then we get to go, ah, you pagan crap. It means that we love them because Jesus loves them, but we just don't expect from them Christian behavior. That's what that means. And the way we treat them is actually my heart and my soul is for you to be redeemed to God, not to me first. And I'm going to relate to you differently. So that's the first part of this. Speak the truth and be absolutely committed to speaking the truth. The second part of it is being, realizing that sometimes love and being a loving person means saying hard things. Proverbs 27 verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. This is like so back to front. Surely, faithful are the kisses of a friend, profuse are the wounds of an enemy. No, it's the other way around. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If someone's come to have a, have a difficult conversation 
with you and they, you're in a relationship with them, you depend on each other, even if it's a working relationship, a marriage, whatever. Someone's taken the effort to have a hard conversation with you. You've got to know that, that it's their faithfulness and their commitment to you that's brought you to that, them to that place. And every single one of us needs these people in our life who are willing to say the difficult things to us because it helps us grow and we know that they're committed to that relationship. My friends have come to me and gone, hey, Gaza, this thing in your life, it's like, oh, that's hard to hear, but I'm so glad it's you because I know you care about me. And there's a willingness sometimes to have the tough conversations for the sake of those who are close to us. So how do we speak the truth in love? And I'm going to read that from that great text in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7. And just think of this through the lens of your speech. Love is patient and kind. Your speech should be patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. Our speech should not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It doesn't insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. That principle again, their truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And we can, obviously, for the rest of the stuff, we can focus on that. But I really want to speak to you about this uh, how do we believe the best about people? When you're preparing yourself for a conversation, tell yourself stories about the best version of who that person is. Believe the best about them, and from that basis, have that conversation. I remember there was an issue in my, my life. Um, it came up uh, when I was living overseas, and there were a number, like there was a behavior pattern in my life, which when I did it, it would affect people quite negatively. And uh, I had some people come and talk to me about it and say, you know, guys, that's what you're doing. I said, I was affecting people. But I really felt in that moment judged by those people. And so, like, part of my head felt like, I, I can hear what you're saying, but I, I don't quite see it, and my heart couldn't quite accept it. But I had another person that came to say, speak to me about the exact same thing. They said, hey, I really don't think this is your heart. I really don't think this is what you intend to do. You're really not trying, but when you do this, this is the effect of it. And because they believe the best about me, it's like my heart stayed open and I could receive what they're saying and God used it to produce a wonderful repentance in my life. Repentance is a phenomenal gift. It's how God changes us. And when you believe the best about people in your conversation, you set them up. You give them the best chance of receiving what you've got to say. So here's the thing. Anyone right now got a few conversations in your head you know you've been avoiding and you probably need to go have? Just put up your hand. A few people. You see, so much of the Christian life, it isn't actually learning more. It's just going and acting on what we already know. And there's so many people in this room where there's nothing I've said to you today is new. But the encouragement is this. God is with you in that moment. And he anoints you in that moment to be a truth teller and to speak in love. You don't walk into that situation by yourself. You walk into that situation with him. When you're obedient and you act on his word and you say, God, I actually want to do what you told me to do. God's with you. 
Believe that he's with you. I'm going to close with this, Matthew 5. I'm going to close with this, and we're going to pray someone out, which I forgot about beforehand. Matthew 5, verse 9. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. When you're committed to having conversations where you speak the truth in love, you're actually working for peace, and you're called the children of God. The amazing thing about that is that you, children look like their parents, and they imitate their parents, and they, you know, like I know Judah at the moment, he looks like me. I'm so proud of the fact that my son looks like me. And, but I know as he gets older, he's going to start in his behavior reflecting what he's seeing in our home. He's going to have some of the same mannerisms and the same ways of reacting because he, he imitates his parents. When we do this and we're committed to working for peace, you, you look and you imitate your Father in heaven. What a phenomenal call of God on our lives. How much honor does the Father lay on us and say, actually, you, you look like me, my child. You can imitate me, and I'm with you in that process. And I know it's intimidating. I know sometimes it can be difficult, but I'll be with you as you step out, believing that you can use this thing to produce life all around you. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for just the grace and the goodness that you, you've given us. I thank you, Father, for um, the fact that you're with us, that you anoint us, that you give us courage to speak the truth in love. And Father God, I, I just pray that we would be courageous and our faith would cause us to take action. In Jesus' name, amen.